I'm Daniel Chacon. Welcome to Words on a Wire. Today I am going to talk to poet Anthony Cody, whose very new book, Borderland Apocrypha, was recently longlisted for the National Book Award. He has been published in multiple literary journals, including Gulf Coast, Ninth Letter, Prairie Scruna, Tri Triquarterly, you know, all the good ones. And uh, I'm very excited to be talking to, incidentally, a another Fresnan. I live in El Paso, Texas, and have lived here for many, many years. But I am from Fresno. Fresno is my home, and he's from Fresno. And although we never knew each other, I know of his work. So stick around and listen to my conversation with Anthony Cody. Anthony Cody, welcome to Words on a Wire. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Uh, do you remember where you were uh, the day you heard that you were a finalist for the National Book Award? I, I actually, I do, I do. I had just finished, I had just finished up my uh, thesis meeting with my thesis chair at President State, the MFA program, Bryn Saito. And she and I were talking and I said something like, you know, I'm just going to keep writing and uh, all this book stuff. I can't stress about that. It will happen if it happens. And I walked out of President State's English department area, walking across campus and I missed the call. I totally <laughs> missed the call <laughs> because, I, you know, we had our meeting and I had it on, on, on silent and I didn't catch it. And I uh, ended up actually sitting down in the laureate lab at Fresno State, Juan Felipe Herrera's laureate lab. And I look at my phone and I'm like, hmm, that's strange. I have a missed call and a voice message. So I get a, I look at my voice message and it's Ken and Rusty, the founders and editors of Omnidon. And they're like, hey, can you give us a call back? We have some questions for you. <laughs> and so I go on. So very calmly, I'm like, oh, that's strange. Cause you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, visuals and things in the work and in, in the, in the collection. Does so I thought maybe, you, you know, <laughs> no, I, you know, I was thinking maybe it was like, well, you know, uh, we, we, you know, do you, are these all public domain images or what have you or something? And then I call them and they're like, Hey, we just want to ask you if you know, uh, May May Burson Brogy and, uh, because you have been selected by her. And I just, I think I started getting emotional. <laughs> I bet. And then, my, and then the call dropped. Oh my God. So I had to call, so then I had to call them back. Well, so it was, it was a really kind of fun experience, but it was funny also in the fact that, you know, there I am in, in the, in the, in the laureate lab taking this call while other people are there in the, in my, in the office trying right. to stay calm. And then I had to go to workshop and just play it cool. Wow. Wow. You know, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. I, I'm I'm getting two things from this story. One is that uh, yeah. it's a great example of that uh, concept of FOMO, the fear of missing out, that which keeps us attached to our yeah. devices. You know, we always go back. Yeah. And one of these days, it's going to be a big message, and it was for you. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and and uh, and so you know, which which could, of course, you know, ultimately either reinforce or you know somehow lay bare the true meaning behind the idea of thinking you need to be connected yeah. to your device all the time. I mean, it's, it's just, exactly. Yeah. And, and then the other, <laughs> totally. and then the other thing is how the universe seemed to put in these interruptions here and there, almost as if, uh, as if, uh, it was an opportunity for you to reflect on the whole thing before it even yeah. happened. 
Yeah, it was a it was a full day because even before that, it was Fresno State's Young Writers Conference. Oh, so nice. I spent the, I yeah, so I spent the day doing a uh, workshop with with students with, from from all along the like the out, outside of like the city proper, um, and you know working on poems of place with the students. So I was talking about Joseph Rios, Sarah Borjas, Andres Montoya, and we were going going hard. Wow. And even stranger enough in kind of to intersect it all and wrap it all together is I even got to hang out with Maceo that day because he was, uh, the guest, uh, Maceo Montoya, cause he was the guest speaker that year. And so it was just like a full kind of Fresno poetry day. kind of. Wow. Wow. You know, speaking of, of Fresno poetry, you are from Fresno. Can, can we have a little bit of background about who Anthony is and, and, uh, maybe even how old you were when, uh, or at what point poetry kind of seemed to have good yeah. and wouldn't let you go? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, uh, you know, I was born and raised here in Fresno. My parents, I, I always tell people, my, I always make the joke that, you know, me and my brother are blue light children. Oh, they Kmart. Were both, they were both working at Kmart. They were both working at Kmart and fell in love. Wow. They fell in love and got married. No way. My mom worked at Kmart. I feel like everyone worked at Kmart eventually. <laughs> Uh, we're probably working for Kmart right now, but you know, in the uh, in the bankruptcy, they, everything got you know folded the into metaphorical Kmart. The, the metaphorical Kmart that is America in 2020. Um, <laughs> um, so, 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 um, yeah, so I, you know, I spent virtually my entire childhood, all of my childhood, and you know, well into undergrad, living in Southeast Fresno, which is. Kind of the rough and it's a, it's a rough and tumble kind of part off Belmont. Right, I, and yeah, I, tell I people, know that neighborhood very well. It, it's it's the barrio, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tell people it's funny. I say I live on the other side of the tracks, uh-huh. and on the other side of the tracks, uh, Caltrans put a put a highway right in front of my house. I wow. live on the other side of the tracks, on the other side of the highway. Um, so it was, it was a really to weird house too in Fresno. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I imagine uh, you're uh, you're much younger than I am. When I was uh, yeah. a young man, and I used to go into down Belmont into the East Side, to, you know, to family yeah. or whatever. You know, it was always mm-hmm. the barrio. I mean, it was a very classic yeah. Chicano barrio with the graffiti mm-hmm. and you know the the, mm-hmm. the fruit vendors and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah. but uh, it wasn't until I was an adult that Southeast Asians began to move into pockets of mm-hmm. that that area. Mm-hmm. But I imagine you grew up in a more diverse Southeast Fresno than I did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That totally. I mean, you know, it's it, you know, it kind of it's kind of one of the pathways actually into poetry. I, you know, under I, the first time that, you know, poetry kind of spoke to me, I found like this torn up book for, uh, for a junior uh, high school, junior English class. And it was in Spanish. And I was like, Oh, this is like, I can understand this. This isn't like old, dead, boring white guys. Uh-huh. Like there, I can understand like the, like the prosody or the musicality that's happening. And like, turns out like I look at, I, you know, I keep some lines and I look it up at the beginning of the internet, because this is like 1998 or something. Uh-huh. And, and, um, it was Pablo Neruda. So, wow. <laughs> well, that's so, a great introduction so, to poetry. Right. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah. And then later on, uh, right towards the end of my, uh, undergrad time, I was taking a Chicano and Latino studies introduction to art class with Juan Felipe. Uh-huh. And he was like, Hey, you should check out this writer. Andres Montoya, maybe you'll like, you'll like this work. And so I did. 
And it was, it, it was really interesting to me because my grandfather was an ice worker. No way. He, you know, he, yeah. Okay, it, it, so the, that's relevant a, for the listeners who may not yeah. know his first book. Yeah. Well, his his first, uh, uh, yeah, what's called the Ice Worker Sings and other poems, and Sings. a lot of the poems yep. centered around this lone ice worker. Yeah. So my grandfather was a bracero, and for many years he worked the cold cars, uh, putting ice in the wow. cold cars. So that and that kind of comes up in the book too a little bit, but right. but um, it, and then you know kind of that kind of triggered another thing for me where I could see like myself inside poems in a different way, uh-huh. and then um, and then kind of kind of turning back to what you were saying about diversity is at the same time I began dating my partner, the poet Miter Bang, uh-huh. and that was before either of us even you know knew that we would. She has won at the Walt Whitman Award, which is an incredibly prestigious prize for her first book of poetry. You guys yes, are on the right yes. path, it seems. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, it kind of it kind of does. But then at the same time, when I started, also we also started being part of a collective here in in, in locally in Fresno, the Long American Writer Circle, which uh, for her was much more direct her being of uh, Hmong ancestry. But for me, it was kind of speaking to what you were saying about Southeast Fresno being kind of that transition over time from being just a radio with only like, like Chicanos and like fourth generation Mexicans. Or for me, it was a lot of African-American, a lot of Southeast Asian folks that were my friends and growing up. And so that kind of multicultural background for me growing up. It just, you know, we have the same experiences. We know what we're right. talking about when we say, you know, this, if, we're gonna, if someone's going to go street racing, we know exactly where they're going. Or if someone's going to do cockfighting, we know exactly where they're talking about. <laughs> so, so that kind of, you know, kind of, that's, that's really kind of the earliest trajectory for me. Those like, I want to say between like 17 and like 25 right. were really formative. So you grew me. up uh, uh, driving up and down and walking up and down Blackstone on um, Belmont Avenue. Yep, exactly, wow. exactly. I love that street, man. When I was a, a teenager, that street held so much wonder for me. I just my eyes would just be wide open every time I would I would need to take that street. And there was a store that we used to go to when I was a kid. It was called White Elephant. My mom loved this store. Yeah, it was a secondhand. I know exactly. Store. You always I know exactly where. Oh, so you you it was there when you were growing up. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I, uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, in a few months I turned 40. So, so I'm like, so, so there's some, those, all those spots that from your memories wow. are still probably not yet, gent- they weren't yet gentrified or, or, or abandoned. So I remember why I'll fit. Yeah. yeah. Now, as I, as I, as I walk, as I think about it now, I can imagine myself as a kid walking in there and the smell of the clothes, the old clothes, you know, how they always, they got that. I don't know. It's just a particular smell, but that's what I smell when I imagine yeah. myself walking into that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, growing up in Fresno East Side, I suppose that you went to uh, Roosevelt. No, they just they had they kind of you know we were because of the, all of the highways and all of the kind of redistricting. I ended up going to McLean. Okay, yeah, my cousin went. Yeah, to yeah. yeah. My mom, my mom went to Roosevelt, so. Right. So it's still, it's, it's just, you know, I've all my education of high school to college is right down Cedar Avenue in the middle of Fresno, you know, McLean and Fresno state are both, you know, a mile and a half from each other. And then three miles South of McLean is Roosevelt. So it's all just one strip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's definitely, uh, 
the urban urban Fresno at its best. Man, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you were saying earlier that you, mm-hmm. you know, after reading Neruda, do you remember mm-hmm. what poem it was, by the way? I, I, I don't, because I, I, like, I remember writing it down uh-huh. just for long enough so when I got to a computer, I could like search it. Okay. Uh, because literally the book was torn in half. The book was torn in half. Oh, and wow. it, so all I got, so I didn't even have the English translation. It yeah. was just the, the Spanish that, you know, like on that dual page where they do like the, right, the, right. the, the verso is in Spanish, the recto is in English. And it was just the half page. Wow. You know, I, so. <laughs> I, I see a parallel to that story and the story about hearing about, uh, uh becoming a finalist in that, uh, you know, as you're, uh, you know, this poem that really was many, in many ways important to you as a poet, you want to go back mm-hmm. to it, but it's just not readily available. You have to really go back and search for it. And that kind of, yeah. you know, that's kind of, there's something beautiful about that as if it's, yeah. it's metaphor and memory and truth all at the same time. That's a, yeah, that's, that, that is true. That's true. Have you, have, but you have gone back to look for that. Of course, of course. It's like, I'm trying to like capture that, you but you know, it's like... <laughs> You know, I'm almost, I'm fairly certain it was from the Canto uh, Generals, but I don't know, but I can't, I I just can't, I can't get back to it because it, because it's just like, it's like that, you know, it's like that inevitable search that I'm always going to be on kind of looking for. Like, I'll just kind of go through and flip through pages and think maybe and this, no. That's beautiful, Anthony. I hope you never get back to it, but you spend the rest of your life trying to. (laughs) Uh, a lot of beautiful things to find on the way. You said that 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 you found yourself in poetry at some point. Can you talk about that? I think you know it, because of the of all of the edu- of how we're brought up, kind of like in school, all of the poetry that we're taught, or at least for me that I'm at the time being educated in like the '90s, everything was from other eras other voices, other like, you know, waspy voices, but, you know, kind of mm-hmm. that white Anglo-Saxon Protestant tradition of things where we're thinking about what is the puzzle we have to solve? How do we decode this poem to like, you know, find the answer? <laughs> right, right. And, like we're doing math and there's a right answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like here, solve for X. Here's uh, Robert Robert Frost. Right. Um, and it's like, what, what, you know, how do we go from there? But then, you know, when I... I just remember opening Montoya, Andres Montoya's book and the beginning it's uh, in search of Atlan. And it's like, I came in search of Atlan and all I found were cities like early Mart, uh, Fresno, Madeira and found they had been swallowed up like the last check that never makes end meet or something, something to that effect. (laughs) And and I think that's when I was like, I know exactly that life. I know that search for things that can't be found. I know what it's, I know exactly what, what Andres is saying when he's saying how the money's gone and we're waiting and we're living check to check. And then it kind of really just turned the corner when I start getting into the book and I start hearing about these experiences of working in, in an ice, in like a, a factory worker as an ice worker. And I start thinking about my grandfather and I think about all those stories of my uncle and Diaz and family of just that existence. And like, I could see for the first time in a book, someone that maybe could have been my uncle, that maybe could have been my grandfather, that maybe could have been my aunt. And 
And it kind of gave me permission in a different way to think not only could I understand poetry, but maybe I could be a poet too. Wow. That's, that's, so, that, that's, that says a lot that, you know, you were to uncover this or find yourself in, in the poetry of Andres Montoya. And I imagine a lot of poets after that, you were able to find yourself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, continue mm-hmm. To, to, to find yourself. But uh, because if anything, Montoya has, uh, you know, a, a commitment to community and you seem yeah. to be all about community, not just the mm-hmm. fact that in Borderland Apocrypha, you had these beautifully disturbing poems about uh, uh, lynchings and about, you know, mm-hmm, oppression mm-hmm. of Mexicans and of uh, braceros. But your whole literary life seems to be interacting with communities, you know, the, the organizations that you belong to, the, uh, yeah. the journals that you edited. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about community and... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, for me, you know, I remember, I remember when I, when I first joined the Hmong American Writing Circle, and one of the things that the founder there, Burley Vang, he had oh, said something to the effect. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. He, we were talking and he said, you know, it's always so lonely to be a writer. And, and, the, and it's so emotional too. A lot of the work you're doing is either you're kind of bringing up either your own trauma or historical traumas. And if you don't have that community, you don't have that network to like not only uplift one another, but also kind of celebrate those small things. Like, Hey, I got a poem rejection that they didn't say this is total garbage, but send us more, you know? So, (laughs) so, you know, those kind of things are really instrumental to me. And then the other part, I, you know, with a name like Anthony Cody, I am definitely, uh, of, of, uh, of uh, mixed ancestry. I mean, I, I, I tell people sometimes I'm an Irish Mexican, you know, uh-huh. my, 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 my dad's side of the family, they are Irish, uh, Oklahoma Dust Bowl refugees and right. they came to California. So it's like always being this, like, am I Mexican? Am I white? I don't know. And depending on the time of day, my hairstyle, and the room I'm in, I could be perceived as either. So always kind of in that search for community. And um, um, I want to say in early, in the early, I want to say 2011, 20, 2012, I was uh, um, 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 accepted into the fellowship of Campo Mundo. And for me, that was a really kind of emotional experience because I, you know, of all the unease of my own identity, of my own background I thought maybe you know I can find a community here and to help kind of support one another on that journey too in a different way right right um and that's kind of what happened there too I mean just in, you know the writers I met across the the diaspora of Latinx identities mm-hmm. um and just kind of finding community just across you know a Boricua from NYC or um you know, Dominicans from Florida or, or, uh, or a, a, a Venezuelan Colombian from the middle of America, you know, it's like, you know, our, 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 our lives, our experiences don't necessarily overlap specifically, but we understand a similar struggle of trying to figure out who we are in the larger context of what this place is. So really, that was really very affirming to me and helped kind of provide 
a different set of communities that I, I didn't necessarily have in Fresno. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of hammered home just my need to kind of reach out to others and help support others and, and bring writing together and support writers. Um, And that's kind of how that's all kind of played out. Uh, Because then in turn, uh, I ended up coming back and getting my MFA after being in New York for a few years when Miter was getting her MFA Um, and um, understanding community there in like the New York art scene and New York, like, a different kind of understanding of identity right. um, because, you know, it's very, it's, it is here in California in the central Valley. It is, there's less of a, uh, of a variance of, of people uh, who are coming from like Spanish speaking countries, but there it's, it's much more diverse and be able to understand that and understanding like visual artists and musicians mm-hmm. who are trying to like carve out their own community and then coming back to Fresno and then, eventually being uh, president of the Chicanx Writers and Artists Association, you know, an organization you founded here at Fresno State. So, have so you, it's just kind of, yeah. Do you know the writer? Uh, she's really a scholar, but she has a book of poems out too, or, or two books of poems called Melissa Castillo's Planas. Uh, the name the name sounds so familiar to me. Okay. The, you, perhaps, you guys, perhaps you guys are, uh, are connected on social media, uh, but she, yeah. she just wrote a scholarly book called A Mexican State of Mind. And mm. it, re- it was a study of a new kind of immigration from mostly Mexico City or urban Mexico to New York City, specifically to be involved in the art scene, the hip-hop scene, and uh, the sports mm. scene. It's really fascinating. It made me think of that, you know, that you being in the mm. city, uh, being able to yeah. discover new communities there. And um, yeah, what a great experience. And you don't, do you already have your MFA, or are you working on it? I, I, I do. I just, um, I, I was like a pandemic grad. I, oh, you my know, God. I, so you, yeah, yeah. you had the book written before you even had your MFA? Yeah, yeah. In the, yeah, I I ended up taking a year off because my daughter was having to uh, travel to for work before she came back to Fresno. And uh, so I took the year off. And in that year, essentially, I wrote a, probably 80% of the book. And then after coming back, I then wrote another manuscript for my thesis. <laughs> so, oh, wow, that's good. Yeah. You're, you're writing a lot. That's fantastic. This book, Borderland Apocrypha, uh, is really a beautiful... Uh, challenging, uh, emotionally disturbing at times. Uh, uh, read it's 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 fantastic, and um, it came out. Not only did you graduate during the pandemic, which is you know uh, such a, a completely yeah. different experience, but the book came out during the pandemic, and you know enough yeah. writers to know what it's like when a book comes out, and you know you do the the book tours, you do the <laughs> signings, and but you weren't <laughs> able to do that. So how how yeah. let me how what's the experience having an incredible book that I mean you would be all over the country right now, even the world right now, if it wasn't for the pandemic, doing readings and and going to invitations. Yeah. How are you doing uh, under the pandemic with a new book? It, it, it was it was a very strange experience because actually the day that I received for, for winning the Omnidon Open Book Prize, I, I get like a hundred books for free. Wow! And and literally the day of the shutdown here in California, so it was like the middle of March. I got my shipment of books. Oh my! So gosh. <laughs> so. 
so, you know, it's one of those things where I didn't even know, like, can I even open this box? Should I clean the box? Is the, you know, like, you know, cause this was, you know, we were, you know, nine months ago. What, what did we know? Did we, I mean, do we even still know anything? And I just, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to open it up and then I'm going to put it in the garage and let it air out. <laughs> and, and, and so I, but instead I just ended up opening it and just putting the stacks of books in an empty cabinet and they just kind of sat there. Oh my <laughs> and, God, Anthony, that is, a, yeah. again, you're filled with these beautiful stories about <laughs> being a writer and the resistance that the universe gives you in order to maybe, I don't know, explode or yeah. appreciate it more. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love and, that image. And, I, and so, I, so, so but, but, you know, it kind of ties back to community though, because I know, you know, all of the, the connections I, you know, have made over the years with other writers and, not only have as they have celebrated their books, but also just in general of, of like that emotional support because they know that the weirdness of trying to publish a book when everything's shut down is like magnified a billion times. Um, I just, you know, kind of reaching out. A lot of people just, you know, hey, I bought your book, read it, love it. A few people would just you know, text me, you know, just cuss word after cuss word and then like Bravo or something. And it's like, Oh, okay. 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 Right, I get right. you. I get you. So, so that kind of has, has been part of it. And then, you know, uh, you know, just kind of doing a handful of zoom reading, zoom interviews and just visiting classes. And that's its own experience because, you know, I'm like showing up as like the diversion of class in a way, right. you know, so here, you know, here the talking head shows up the visiting poet and just to kind of connect with, with the students right. and even the teacher. And it's just a fantastic experience because, you know, it's like, you know, this is a tough time. This is a tough time for everyone. And to have that moment of, of being able to talk about poems, of being able to talk about kind of histories. And I mean, even I remember visiting a class and, and talking about some of the poems that like talk about the through line of these violences against Mexican and Mexican Americans after the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and how that's manifested today. Um, and still of how that, how, you know, our, our community is still suffering of things, uh, police violence and like the Black Lives Matter movement. And just kind of, I think I spoke to a class like the day after um, the protests for George Floyd began and it just kind of everyone you know, had to kind of take a moment to like think through how, how this isn't new and how these histories are just keep perpetuating themselves and just right. kind of the weight of it, but also having that chance to have that community to talk about it too and think, you know, this has to, this has to stop. This can't go, this can't go on. Yeah. This, this, uh, there, there's a, a huge irony in, in this as well that, um, your book came out at a time when almost everybody, I would have, I, I have absolutely no statistics, yeah. so I won't pretend like I do, and, and I don't even you yeah. know, know how much uh, merit this is. It just seems that most people these days are uh, ingesting a lot of what they read electronically, whether it's on a device yeah. or a laptop or an iPad, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And the the irony is that your beautiful book does not perhaps translate electronically uh, as if it were a, a conventional text. And I imagine yeah. it would be even difficult to have a an e-reader on this one. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's true. I mean, you know, I, you know, one of the things when people, you know, do reach out or talk to me, you know, I say, I say very specifically, thank you for, you know, sitting and like working through the book. I mean, this is a book that, you know, you have to kind of go back and forth on pages. You have to kind of turn it around. You have to move it around. It's very tactile. Um, and kind of in that to kind of in a participatory way. Right. Um, I thought of, you know, one of the things when I was working on it, I thought about how all the algorithms and data streams overwhelm us, right? We go on and everything just, it turns into a flood and we remember nothing, right? We, what did we do with the last 20 minutes? So this right. is kind of a way to, to like slow us down, to sit with it, to, you know, work through the archive with me yeah. and kind of bring, bring you closer to it. Oh, you know, that's interesting, Anthony. I hadn't thought about that because when, when I read it, you know, yeah. the first time, you know, when I, I go through it, there's, there's some poems that are, the words are laid out on the page and I'm not quite mm. sure, uh, you know, exactly uh, how to read it. Uh, and, uh, uh, but, but what, what makes the experience so deep is that I have to translate the layout of the page into some sort of code as if I'm coding information. And mm -hmm. when I do that, I find my own rhythm and when yeah. I find my rhythm, it meets up with your rhythm and your imagery and it just makes it a, a much, a much, uh, deeper experience. So it is, you know, I, I had never thought about it as being, you know, information theory you know like the uh mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. coding and transmission of information but it, it does kind of seem like that now that you mention it are you yeah could this book have been written uh two generations ago do you think oh i you know you know i think about sort of I, I, there, there's a poet um, that I'm drawing, I'm drawing a blank on their first name, Kendall de Amat. And if I can stand up and pull out a book from them, Carlos Kendall de Amat. And this was a, um, a book called, uh, Cinco Metros de Poemas or Five Meters of Poems. Mm -hmm. And it's from like 1927. And it's all over the place in terms of how it's, of how it's laid out. I feel like, I feel like it could, I feel like, yes, it could have happened. It definitely could have happened. How it would have happened would have been very manual and very time consuming. And right. it could have been a life's work in a way to like having to like do the research, which in and of itself is for me was very much done digitally because I wasn't able to always go, to, you know, I wasn't able right. to like travel to all these different sites, but that I was afforded because of the internet Right. Um, well, also, I think the time, you know, also, yeah. I think there's, there's a distinction between poetry that's laid out upon the page in, in unconventional or different ways. And, and, yeah. you know, and that's not all you do in this book. You also have <laughs> graphs, you have like, uh, like if you look at a request for information, ICE regarding immigration yes. detention services, extension 2017. And, you know, uh, and then, uh, yeah. you know, you have lines yeah. going from one word yeah. to another, and then on the opposite page, you have a ballot, it looks like. Uh, yeah. And so yeah. You're, you're, there's a lot of, the irony is that, that there, this, this uh, would, would have a hard time working electronically, yet at the same time, yeah. it seems in part a some sort of opposition to or commentary on yeah. information electronic yeah. information yeah it definitely is there's sort of like a counter narrative happening you know, of, I, throughout I, and 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I, I was. Okay, I was just thinking about that poem. I mean, that's one of those poems where that the, the that poem specifically about the request for information, where I have I, I, there's poems in this collection where I, to be honest, don't know how I read them. I don't even that's make great. a decision to. I just like if if someone asks if I say, hey, you know, what poems would you like me to read, and someone says, hey, what about this one? I I'm like, okay. And let's, let's learn this as I go along. And sometimes I, but you know, sometimes not only do I, it changes, it changes as, as I read them. Cause then it also finds its own, wow. its own, uh, its own path for that moment. Yeah. Um, so that's one of those poems where I still don't know how, how to arrive at how to purposefully and accurately present it audibly to a reader or an audience right and and that's also it, it makes the experience for the reader to who uh, would want to re-enter this text over and over again it would yeah. each time you enter it you're going to experience something different mm -hmm. yeah um so when you at what point did you know this book was done and you were ready to put it out into the world mm -hmm. that's a good question i i um I sent it off um, maybe like two weeks after I was done with, with when I was done with like draft three of it because it felt, it felt whole. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up getting accepted and going up to the community of writers up uh, near Lake Tahoe. And uh, during that time I wrote eight, I wrote nine new poems and I think seven of them made it into the book. And that's actually when I realized that I had kind of turned a corner in what I wanted to in where it was and it, it felt whole. And I want, because one of the things that I always was struggling with in the book, in the drafting of it is how far do we go in reliving the trauma and holding that trauma to, to, to us both in the experience of, of revising or editing or reading a book and when to like let that let that trauma go and not provide uh you know these reenactments that only perpetuate the violence um so that kind of moment at, in the summer at the community writers helped me kind of shape that in a new way and then um i came back from that made like three or four edits and i started sending it out again how, and, how, many, um, how many places did you send it to um, oh gosh, I think four or five, I believe maybe, maybe less, maybe three or four, because it was, you know, it's like one of those things where I was like, you know, starting, I was getting back into the MFA, getting back into, into like school rhythm and like, you know, not trying to be, you know, the student who just like drops out because they're like obsessed with this other project too. Um, so, so I didn't, I, so I didn't, I wasn't able to send it out as much as I would have liked probably, but you know, in, inevitably it found the home where it needed to be. So I, I'm really happy about that. I'm really happy with Omnidon and how Omnidon's been so understanding and caring of the book and even in the design of it. I mean, part of me, one of the things that I maintain an obsession of is, um, the size of the printed paper of the eight and a half by 11 and how like right. we're almost 
at the we're at the mercy of the eight and a half by eleven paper that office office supply chain give us. Right, and, and this how it's completely different. It's it's shaped up yeah. weight, uh, more of width than height. Yeah, it's, it's definitely in landscape. I think it's a it's six inches tall, nine inches wide. So that way you can open it up and get that full like horizon of of, of writing. Um, so I, you know, so I've I, you know when I was making it, I thought. I, you know, I'm going to end up, and I think that was actually, I remember texting a friend who, when I was done with like draft one, I thought, I think I'm done with the draft and I think I made an unprintable book. <laughs> so, Congratulations. So, that was, that was, I think literally what I thought. I think I, I think I made an unprintable book. Oh, shit. Yeah. And just really kind of like freaking out a little bit. Like, well, um, that, that was a fun exercise. Now, now what? And just kind of thinking about, you know, of, of, of the paper and trying to like, how can we manipulate it? How can we, I think, uh, May May in her, in her blurb of the books, said something like torque the page. And I think that's kind of what I was thinking, like how we, how can we like take this two dimensional, this three dimensional object that's we're writing on it two dimensionally and kind of like get a squeeze a little bit more out of it. All right. So that was, and Amidon was really supportive of that. And they were really able to like help enhance and escalate things in a way that I, you know, that made it a real tangible thing. And I, I, I'm appreciative of that completely. I, I couldn't help but think of Craig Santo Perez as I was mm -hmm. reading this book, mm -hmm. his, um, mm -hmm. uh, his uh, Incorporated Territory books. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, and I'm wondering. I know, I, I, I know, of course, that you're familiar with his work. That you know, you, you know, yeah. you, you probably know him personally. And I'm wondering if there is a connection between uh, uh, what what he does with his poetry and what you want to do with your poetry, and 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 from and where does that intersect? Where does that connection come from? If there yeah. is, yeah, that's a really, that's a really, you know, it's funny that you bring, you bring Craig up because actually I read with him for the first time this last weekend. Wow. That and must have been wild. <laughs> it really was wild because I remember, I remember, um, when I was being in maybe some of those very early Hmong American, Hawk, Hmong American writer circle meetings and another, another poet, Andre Yang, he was like, oh, yeah. Hey, hey man, cool. there's a, there's, there's this, there's this tomorrow poet who's like, going hard and just check this out. And he like shared like a few poems. So, you know, Craig's, Craig's been, been like a hero for like not only Hawk and kind of trying to speak up and speak against and like write against the narratives of, of an indigenous population in the midst of being colonized yeah. in, 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 in the, uh, in the Pacific, in Guam and the Chamorro people, but also just, in kind of trying to lay bare those 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 traumas and those crimes and the truths, and so he's always he's he's been he's definitely been a hero. Um, and thinking about, I remember that was one of the things that passed in my head of like, oh Jesus, my, like I'm going to be an Omnidom poet. Craig Santos <laughs> Perez is an Omnidom poet. That was like you know. Oh, that's oh is he, like is he with Omnidon as well? He's with Omnidon too. Oh, oh he's with I, I, I didn't too. know that. I, 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 yeah, I, I, so that's good. So, so that was yeah, like his whole collection. I think. Well, that says a lot for Omnidon, man. How how yeah. uh, they must be just an incredible, incredible people to work with. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I would say that 
definitely trying to provide those counter narratives, not only against like historical perceived truths, but also the counter, the counter narrative against how we engage with the poem. You know, I think what he, some of his newer unincorporated territory, uh, uh, volumes, he's kind there's, there's poems that run across almost the bottom too, across right. pages on top of the poem that's happening on that page. So I, I'm, I definitely consider him someone that is like a personal hero to me, but also someone who has, is, we are in a similar conversation and talking about these, these histories of the West, of the American West and of how manifest destiny right, is right. like still, still alive and well, we just don't know how, how we don't call that that anymore and how that is harmful to communities and like the flattening of culture or the erasure of culture or the genocide of the people. You know, I, I kind of think that both you and, and Craig, uh, and other, uh, you know, a few other poets, uh, uh, are really kind of part of this zeitgeist in a sense, uh, where you're taking history and you're taking research and you're taking documentation you're taking, you know, these historic photographs and, and, and you're retelling stories in, in, in necessarily fragmented ways, because one of the things about your book is uh, you have to be prepared about what's going to come next. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. don't think you're going to read one or two poems and you're going to be prepared. Although I love how you prepare us in the table of contents. It's a very unconventional table of contents <laughs> with all the titles just kind of mashed together and you go, what the heck is this? But then you begin to realize with clarity that this is this is the table of contents. But yeah. it's this kind of yeah. disarming that that if we were walking through, you know, a, a jungle or an urban space that would prepare us to to be afraid and to be on guard, and because there's mm-hmm. there's a constant mm-hmm. threat. And I think it it kind of lends itself to that. And not that we're scared as we go through it, but we are definitely definitely. Yeah. Ready for anything by the time we're yeah. three, four poems. Into I think, this. Yeah. And I think that definitely, that does, does resonate with kind of the, the origins of the opening poem of, of the opening kind of cascading of sentence tree poems, because, um, that's, that's kind of where that section started. I was just trying to get a passport photo of Walgreens <laughs> and, and just some, this was, you know, this was, I believe it was in the, like, the specter of the post-2016 election. And, and he, and, and he had yet to be uh, inaugurated. And I was there and just the older white dude was just like trying to, you know, like make like a hostile joke with me of like, Hey, you're trying to get a passport. Where are you trying to run to? Who are you afraid of? You know? <laughs> and, and it kind of goes back to that, you know, on some days I'm white, some days I'm brown right. and some days, um, some days I'm somewhere in between where I get to, you know, figure out where I am. But, uh, but it is, it, it definitely is, a uh, an interesting, an interesting, I remember cause the table of contents, how that was laid out was actually totally the, the, uh, the book designers, uh, idea because I thought, Oh wow. And that's why I knew like, it was like the perfect, uh, the, the perfect, uh, uh, relationship I have with Amazon because they, they, they took something I had made innocuous and made it all the more, uh, uh, 
Anthony'd for lack of a better term, <laughs> because, you know, they, you know, they're like, Oh, let's do it like this. I'm like, Oh, I like it. Isn't that cool? Can we do it like that? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there are no rules in this, but there is incredible poetry. These images that come out, the, 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 the play and the the music and the language. It's uh, it's a beautiful book. I'm wondering if you would read one of your poems. Yeah. Oh, I will read the opening poem, which we just talked about. And the title is standing in line to take a passport photo. An old white man looks at me and claims I am running. Standing here because my grandpa ran away from home to sell perfume in a Zocalo at nine. In line, I am a lot of things. And since I am a lot of things, I am everything you cannot imagine. A passport photo asks me to two by two myself and capture what I am in neutral. And I recall I have yet to see the chambers of my heart turn tusk. An old white man does not feel Scott Heron saying, because I always feel like running, not away, because there is no such place, is not how you pronounce exile or escapar. Looks at me how Teddy Roosevelt died coveting a white buffalo. Claims I am afraid. No, I am a wall. No, I am a mirror. I am still, so still. That was Anthony Cody reading, standing in line to take a passport photo. An old white man looks at me and claims I am running. I am so glad you read that poem. We were talking earlier about the possibility of reading another one further on in the book, the last poem. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad you read this because when I didn't know that's how you, that that's how the poem was supposed to be read, or I, I, I don't want to say it's supposed to be, cause I'm sure you can enter into it pretty much anyway, but, but I love the way you read it. It just brings the poem together for me and, and allows me to understand the coding that is Anthony Cody in this book. It's, it's, <laughs> Anthony, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I wish we had more time. Just briefly, what are you working on now? I know that's a horrible question because this book deserves to be uh, uh, getting attention for the next yeah. several years. But what are you working on? Yeah, I'm working on cleaning up my uh, the other manuscript I wrote in uh, in the MFA. It's um, it's um, actually something that um, explores climate change, the Dust Bowl and annihilation and it's been a very interesting journey of trying to edit that because like i was saying earlier i graduated at the pandemic and just things you know one day i was in i was in school the next day i wasn't and uh you know i had no ceremony nothing um so 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 here i am but um but yeah i'm kind of working on that and it's it's a variety of some some docu-poetic archival work and also some reimagining mm-hmm. of where we're going and the path we're headed on. And in some ways that's been really difficult because I was writing this outside of the knowledge of a pandemic. Right. Um, and so kind of trying to revise that, trying to understand what annihilation now means. And, and, and wherever, the, yeah. wherever we, it is that we are going, whatever kind yeah. of, 
social or spiritual entropy we may be experiencing at this point, I think the pandemic has sped it up quite a bit. Yeah, it does. It does feel that way. It feels like everything's escalated. And it's been, you know, I even, I had a, I had a poem published in Poem a Day that's actually from that collection from the Academy of American Poets. And it's, uh, it's from the last portion of that, mm-hmm. of that book. And it's, and they are vowelless poems. Oh, wow. And, that's, that's wonderful. and those, those are challenging and scary and frightening. And, um, the response from the Poem a Day running and all the people who engage with that, uh, um, with that on a daily basis has been really overwhelming. Right. And in some ways, those poem, that poem actually helped people find the book uh, because it was like, hey, what's this? Who's this? And uh, let and, me learn more about this guy. And that sounds a little bit like coding and information theory in itself, it, in that you're taking away the vowels and, you know, but the, you know. It, yeah. You, you, the message isn't lost. I mean, the brain is going to be able to make those connections. And, yeah. It's safe yeah. and space. And that's kind of what, <laughs> yeah, so that's, yeah, that's essentially what kind of where it comes to is like, what do we lose? Where are we going? Right. And what will that look like into the future of how we hold on to whatever it is we're trying to hold on to? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so one of the that's, things, it's, one of the things yeah. I admire about this book is that it, that you need to hold this book in your hand. And I think that mm-hmm. in itself is a strong statement that you're making, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether, yeah, I, I don't know if it's intended, but it's a strong statement of you're making about how all this information that is available to us, all these, these, these clickbaits that we're subject to Mm -hmm. have, you know, have separated us from holding a book in our hands with no interruptions, you know, and no matter how, uh, literate you are, if you're reading on a Kindle or if you're reading on your phone, there's going to be interruptions, uh, but yeah. with actually having yeah. a book in your hand, it's like you're saving, you're saving books. Thank you, Anthony, for doing this. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a heavy title to, <laughs> to be, to be given, but uh, I, I appreciate that. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll remember that. If anyone could do it, it's this book. Uh, thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. And, uh, oh, there's one other thing I need to ask real, just really briefly. Uh, you're, you're in Fresno yeah. right now. Yes. How, how bad are things over there? I, I have family in Fresno, but they don't really talk to me yeah. very much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for reasons that are way beyond the scope of this show. But uh, I'm just wondering what it's like at home right now. It, right now here in Fresno, it's, it's, not, it's not great. I feel that, you know, in terms of, of things of how the pen, you know, in the larger sense, you know, Fresno never recovered from the economic collapse of the Bush era, you know, it's, uh-huh. it was still trying to get back to try to get back to some sort of semblance of like, of like the nineties and the nineties weren't so great either. <laughs> and right. So, so like it's, it was, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's struggling and, and the pandemic has, has really brought out the, the sort of friction point that we exist in. Yeah. When I was um, um, when I lived there uh, for a time, Fresno was the murder capital of California. Uh, it was yeah, incredibly violent. Yep. I'm wondering how is the violence there right now? During the it's pandemic? been you know it's actually recently it's been uh, um, it's been tough. There's been a, actually an escalation of shootings and violence this year. Yeah. It's getting back to that early '90s era of, of of kind of getting to the point of you know triple digit murder rate, and it's you know 
thing, shootings are happening and the the right wing Tea Party anti truth reality people are are uh, are out not wearing oh. not wearing masks and it's 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 not great you know I I, I I genuinely struggle having family here and knowing that some of them are having to be frontline essential worker uh, people in in this in service industry or in right. or in social service industries and I think about it a lot and it does weigh on me. Uh, if I'm if I'm if I'm being totally honest, it's probably about half my day of worrying about my family, and it's yeah. really really hard. So it's it's not it's not it's not great, but I know um, my family they're they're doing the best they can, and that's all we can really ask for right now. But it's 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 hard. It's a hard it's a hard place. You know, Fresno has always been a hard place as as you've alluded to earlier, especially in the nineties when it was the murder capital of the world. And I've come to El Paso, I've been here now for several years, I think almost twenty, if not twenty. And um my wife is from El Paso and I, you know, would yeah. tell her stories about Fresno and she kinda of rolled her eyes and go, Oh yeah, Fresno, the uh the the, the tough place or something like that, you know, yeah. not taking it very seriously. But then the first time she came, we came for Lit Hop and we spent about three days there. In fact, we saw you reading at that event. And we loved you. Yeah, I remember it. I, rem- I remember it. Yeah. I remember thinking, oh, God, here's Daniel right here, front and center, getting to, be, getting to watch me read. And no, 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 uh, no stress. No, it was, no stress. <laughs> you, were, you were great. But but it's it's like one day in Fresno and she goes, OK, I understand. And and yeah. just by observing how people walk, how they cross mm-hmm. the street, how they look at you, how they don't look at you, and she kind of, you know, she sensed it right away. It's a crazy place, and I imagine right now it must be really bad. And my heart goes out to Fresno, and it goes out to you and your family. And uh, you know, when we get through this, you know, let's yeah, let's uh, let it yeah. be something that strengthens our community and our commitments. Yeah. I think it will. I think it will. I know, I know, I don't know, you know, I, I don't want to get it to where it was before. I want to make it, we want to make it something better. I want it to be something better, something better than, than all these fools could even imagine. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. 